Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 through 33. This is a verse of scripture that I used a couple weeks ago, but I I got a totally different revelation out of it. How many were here when I ministered a message called, It's God, Not a Ghost? How many remember that? Come on, I want to see your hands. Everybody remember that. Okay. It says this, Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Notice that Jesus sent them away into a storm knowing that, does Jesus know everything that's going to happen? Does he know a thing before it happens? Yes. So he sends them away knowing that they're going into a storm. So he sends them away while he sent the multitudes away. This is after the feeding of the five loaves and the two fish, the multitudes. And when he sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. It was contrary. Say it was coming against them. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when his disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. I want you to look at someone ever so gently and say, don't be afraid. Jesus, come on, Jesus is in the middle of the storm with you. Come on, remind somebody else, look at him, say, don't be afraid. Jesus is in this storm. And Peter answered and said to him, I love Peter, Lord, if it is you, bid me, or if it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. And so he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, it was aggressive, like yesterday when I was on the water, it was very high waves, high seas. He was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out to the Lord, saying, Save me! And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Look at somebody and say, no matter what you're going through, no matter the storm, go ahead, look at him. I'm watching to see if you do it. Say, don't doubt the Lord. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him, saying, Truly, this is the Son of God. You may have your seats. Normally, I don't share the title of my message. Usually, I try to build some framework. There's always some type of methodology to what I preach, even though the Holy Spirit speaks to me, I try to be led, but I'm going to just lay it out really quick for you. This simple, quick, I believe prophetic message is called weathering life's storms. 
weathering life's storms. As you notice, the whole setting that's in Matthew, uh, it, is, it is Peter, James, John, and the other nine disciples. So 12 disciples are in this. It looks like those boats back then, 2,000 years ago, they look like giant um, kayaks is pretty much what they were. And they're in the middle of the storm. Jesus sends them over knowing that it's going to rain, knowing that the winds are boisterous. This would be right in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. If you, if you study the size of Galilee, it's more like a lake. They call it Sea of Galilee, but it's no more than seven miles wide. Actually, did you see the picture that uh, Benjamin put up on the screen? That was actually Galilee. So it looks like a very a large lake, but it was common for storms. And so Jesus sends his disciples out into the storm. And, you know, as I was thinking about this message last week, this week, this small little message, I started thinking to myself as I'm, as people talk to me, as I'm experiencing uh, different people, what they're going through, I'm hearing different conversations, I don't start thinking things are prophetic until I see a common thread. And this common thread that I'm seeing in the body of Christ is that it seems as this as if every person that I talk to is going through not just a little something, but something significant. Am I the only one who's going through a little something this morning? Does everybody hear what I'm saying? There are so many different people, and I know that there's people in this room that are dealing with something that is beyond them or is bigger than them. And it takes a type of fortitude that God affords to you uh, type of grace. You know what grace means? Grace simply means the power to do what his truth requires you to do. In other words, you don't have to endure this storm alone. Whatever this storm is, there's people I've talked to even this morning, several people, their grown children are going through things. I was talking in my office with someone uh, this morning who's uh, struggling with, with their kids. I've struggled with our kids. I almost, uh, you know, we were on the boat and it would have been a perfect time to send them to heaven early yesterday, but, uh, you know, by God's grace, I didn't, but you might be going through some financial challenges this morning, but some are even deeper than that. Some people are going through things up here and in here, wondering when God is going to deliver that thing that you've been believing him for. There's some people in here who have a sickness that has been persisting and it hasn't ended. All of these things represent a common thing, which is a storm. And I believe that many of us are going through a storm this morning, but I believe that Jesus, just like he was in the scene with the disciples, Jesus is in the middle of the storm. And I started thinking about, well, God, why do you allow... See, back when I was 17, 18 years old, I was ready to come to the altar. I was ready for God to radically touch and change my life. And he did, and he did it quickly. In the first year, oh, he held my hand ever so kindly. He led me beside still waters. But after year two, those waters were no longer still. They were white water rapids. And I went from walking in, uh, you know, grassy green pastures because he says he, he causes you to lie down in green pastures. I started feeling like I was laying in a bed of thorns where it was glassy, calm waters for two years, and all of a sudden the boisterous winds began to come into my life. My dad was murdered. Things began to happen. We lost our baby the first year I started as the associate pastor. What was that? The first, second month, lost the baby. 
I mean, everything that could go wrong seemingly started to go wrong. And I started asking myself, Lord, I thought we were only supposed to lie down in green pastures. Lord, I thought you were supposed to lead us beside still waters. But what do you do when everything that can go wrong starts going wrong and the God that you knew on the mountaintop, you don't recognize why you're in the valley? It's almost like God changes forms. And we can't help but ask this question. Are you good? Isn't that what they did in the garden? God gave them everything and they begin to question God's goodness. How do I know that? It doesn't say it in the Bible. No, it doesn't say it. But they never would have started picking from a fruit if they were satisfied. Yeah. We start doing other things. They wanted to feed themselves in another way that God didn't supply. And that's what we are tempted to do when we're in life storms. I'm laughing, not because that statement is funny, but I was thinking about, I remember being, you know, in the pool recently with my daughter. Daddy, take my floaties off. She wants me to teach her to, um, to swim this summer. She's four. She's about ready. But the problem is she's got nails. And, uh, you know, she, she, she wants to swim, but anything that's close to her becomes a floating device. And so she started been using me as a floating device. And that's what we do in life storms. We grab for anything to keep ourselves afloat. And so I started thinking about this concept. Listen to this, Tamaki. One main key reason that God allowed Peter to sink in that water, is this may sound like oxymoron-ish, if I could say that word, is I believe that God is doing with us in this season just what he was doing with Peter. And you want to know what it was? Drying him out was drying him out. What does that mean? He was falling in the water. He would be waterlogged. No, I begin to think about this concept. If, if, you, if you freshly cut logs, do not float. If I take an oak tree, how many know what an oak tree is? You guys are looking at me like you don't, you know, like what is that? Logs don't float? No. Heavy logs, oak logs, when you cut a large tree trunk, on a tree, and you were to throw it into the water, what is the log going to do? Come on, talk to me. What's it going to do? It's, it's going to sink. Why is it going to sink? Because it's full of sap. It's full of itself. It contains sap. It contains nutrients. It contains even lots of water. Because when you're cutting, I used to own a Tree, cutting company, uh, tree company, and when you cut it, it actually water is coming out. Sap is coming out because all the nutrition is in the tree. Therefore, it's weighing that tree log down, and when it goes in the water, it would sink to the bottom. But do you know what dry logs do? I know this yesterday. I was at the beach yesterday, and I tripped and almost stubbed my toe walking next to Dean because protruding about two foot out of the ground was something we call driftwood. Now, wood cannot drift nor remain on top of the water unless it's dried out. And you know what I believe God is allowing these storms in our lives for? He's drying us out. Because as long as Peter stayed emptied of himself, he could stay on top of that which pulled him down. Is that too heavy? And this is the key to Christianity. The key of Christianity is not come to Jesus so I can get everything I need. And yes, you will by default get everything you need. But while you're trying to get everything you need from him, God is simultaneously trying to get everything out of you. There's a, there's a, there's a dual work that's happening in the life of the believer. 
It's not strange that Jesus said, he who follows after me must first empty himself, come on, or deny himself, and then take up his or her cross and follow after me. In other words, God's saying, if you want to follow me, you're gonna have to do this key thing, dry yourself out. Does anybody get this? And some of you this morning are sinking in your situation and God is wanting to simultaneously get rid of things in your life. Now listen, I thought this was so neat. I thought about the children of Israel. The children of Israel, what happened to them over the years? Israel got delivered out of slavery, 400 years of slavery when they were in Egypt. How many remember the story where Pharaoh would make them build bricks? They were in captivity. Look at all those times that they would go into captivity over and over again. The Bible indicates at least 20 times Israelites would go back into slavery and then they would start worshiping God again. They would get out of slavery and start building calves and God would see to it that they went back into slavery over and over and over again. What was God trying to do? in them. He was trying to dry them out. You're not getting what I'm saying. And so God, one of God's last, not his last, but one of his last attempts is where did he send them after he deli delivered them out of Egypt? They crossed the Red Sea. God parts the waters. Where did they wander in the wilderness for 40 years? Come on, talk to me, church. Where did they? In the wilderness. In the what? In the desert. What will a desert do to you? It'll dry you out. And so this is what wilderness do. It dries out what doesn't belong. What do storms do in our life? It cleans us out of things that don't, don't belong. And so how do I know that Peter got start, started getting full of himself? Now watch this. Think about this picture with me. As, as Peter's walking on water, the first 10 steps, it doesn't say 10. I'm just, you know, being a little extreme and theatrical. But he walked at least a few steps, maybe 10. He walked on water. And as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he could walk. As long... And this is, this is what the empty life is. It's not being, not having anything in your life. But the thing is, is when he had Jesus, that means he had everything he needed. He didn't need self. He didn't need his own opinion. Lean not to thy own understanding. As soon as he started leaning on his own understanding or looking at those boisterous winds, he began to sink in the water. Somebody say, keep your eyes on Jesus. You know what I'm careful of is when I see people who are self-absorbed and they always need the next fad or they got to be a part of this next new thing or always needing things. Extremely prideful people, I try to keep my distance just a little bit away from. You know why? Because when you get on the boat with a prideful person, the Bible says here in 1 Peter chapter 5, likewise, you younger people submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all you be submissive to one another. Watch this. And be clothed with humility for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In other words, he will cause the humble to float, but the proud will sink eventually. Because the, listen, the proud rely on their own resources, not heaven's resources. Amen? That's true humility, is looking at God as uh, your, your full sustenance in your life. And so I want to prophetically say to you, whatever it is you're going through this morning, I won't be long, but I want to tell you this prophetically. God is drying you out. And it's not because he's being mean. It's because he wants you to begin to walk into this next season, walking out on top of what used to pull you down. 
He wants you to be on top of it. He doesn't want you to be weighed down. He does. Listen, life will never be free of trouble. Unfortunately, while we're in a fallen world, there will be divorces. Unfortunately, far be it from you and far be it from me. But this is a reality because we live in a fallen world. People will unfortunately always betray you. They will reject you. When you need them the most, they're less available. Like they call you when you don't need things and as soon as you need something, they can't be found. We live in a fallen world where there's constant disappointments and God doesn't offer a trouble-free life. God didn't even offer a trouble-free uh, walk on the sea with Peter. They were, there was trouble and he could still walk on the water. But can I tell you this? You can live in the midst of trouble and it be as if nothing is going wrong. My heart goes out to people who hurt. It does. Someone was hurting this morning. You didn't see it. People were greeting people. I was talking to someone and I literally, tears came because this person is going through something. My heart is moved. My heart is moved when people are going through things. And, but some people are always going through something too at the same time, right? And people will always go through things because we live in a fallen world. But I want to speak to this person who is uh, maybe always going through something. Can I speak to you? I want to give you a secret, a secret that I am learning. I have learned, but I'm still learning. It's, it's such a deep secret. You might want to get a pen and write this one down. It will absolutely change the trajectory of your life. Stop focusing on your problems. Stop focusing on the boisterous winds. Stop looking for answers in other people. Stop trying to solve your problems. I know that's going to be a shocker to you. Stop trying to solve your problems. God didn't call you to necessarily be a problem solver. Here's the key. Go solve someone else's problem. That's so good. I'm going to give you an even deeper key. Catherine Kuhlman said this words. This is going to bless you, Dean. She said, the pit that you dig someone out of will be the very hole that you bury your problems in. So instead of, and I don't mean this harshly, I'm very much not much nicer when I'm not behind the pulpit, I promise. This is just, it's like the, the, the uh, zeal of the Lord is in my heart when, I'm, when I stand back here. Plus, it's blocking me from you guys. Some people, when they focus on their own problems, trying to fix them all the time, needing and needing and needing all the time, if you keep that personality, if you keep that disposition in your own life, if you hold on to that, you will always remain in need your whole life. Because God's trying to get you to do something. He's trying to get you to dry out. Step outside of yourself and help someone else out. It's hard for me to focus on my problems because I have so many of them, but what I do is I'm too busy helping other people solve theirs. And so what I do is I take people's problems, your problem, people I talk to, and I throw them. So I can't focus on mine because y'all got me too busy. And so I take my problem, I'm being funny, and I throw my problems into that pit. So I can't think about when the kids are disrespecting me. I think, can't think about when I don't have all the money to pay this thing off or to do this or that or to take time off. 
So my encouragement to you this morning is to allow yourself to be dried out and emptied of self so you can float on that which would normally pull you down and go ahead and dig somebody out of their pit and then use that hole to bury your own problems in and watch what God does. Do you know where there's a Bible scripture? Somebody said something to me on Thursday when they were leaving here. They said, oh my gosh, I've got this, this, and this to do with some ministry stuff. I'm so tired, I need to go home. I said, you, you go home. And, I, and she said, this person said, I got a, I got a ministry meeting uh, this evening. And this scripture automatically, she was out watering flowers. And it prophetically just hit me. Without even thinking, the Holy Spirit said, he who waters will himself be watered. What does that mean? When you're thirsty, don't get a drink yourself. I'm metaphorically speaking. Don't, when you're hungry, don't feed yourself. Go feed somebody else. I'm going to make it real practical. DSV version. When you're in need, don't go to solve your own problems. Go solve someone else's. God made it this way. Unless a seed goes into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. What does that mean? Stop focusing on trying to stay alive and keep your act together and keep your stuff together and growing and putting your money away and setting up your life. Not that those things are wrong, but the more you focus on your own problems, the more you'll sink down just like Peter did. The more he focused on the boisterous winds, the troubled waters on the Sea of Galilee, he began to sink further and further down. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. It's a similar scene. It says this, verse 35 through 40. On the same day when evening had come, he, meaning Jesus, say Jesus. Is everybody getting something out of this? He said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat just as he was. And the other little boats were also with him, and a great windstorm arose. Wow, there you go. Almost a very similar scene. So they were always, the culture was, you know, live on the boat, work and fish. They were fishermen by trade. But watch this key in here. And other little boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves and the the waves beat the boat so that it was already filling with water. But he was in the stern of the boat asleep on a pillow. Okay. We stayed in a hotel this weekend. It wasn't a super nice hotel or anything like that. So don't. And my wife forgot the box fan. Who sleeps with a fan on and needs a fan on? You know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. So you're getting the picture here. How in the world is my boat filling up with water? His pillows being rained on. The boat is about to go under the water and Jesus is asleep. I can't sleep without my box fan. It's funny, but it's true. You sleep with a box fan? No, you will. Once you start, you don't go back. This is the key. Jesus is saying this this morning. It doesn't matter what you're going through. I know you're focused on the trouble. That's what the disciples were. Let, let me just, and they awoke and they said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are dying? We are perishing. And then he arose and he rebuked the wind and the sea and said, peace, be still. Do you know why Jesus was able to speak to that situation and it changed? Because the peace was in him. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I just felt like the Lord would say this. The reason peace is not being established in your situation is because there's no peace in you. Yeah. 
What's in you, meaning Jesus, Jesus is the Prince of Peace, will cause peace in the situation. If you're waiting for your situation to line up like the Orion's belt, it's not going to happen. When you finally look to Jesus like Peter did, when you connect, when you're intimate, when there's a closeness, when there is a connection, peace then comes. Then the situation begins to change. And listen, even if it doesn't change, I prophesy to you in the name of Jesus, you will sleep in the stern of the boat in the middle of a storm without your box fan, with a soaked pillow. Okay, they didn't have a box fan, but you know, I'm just having fun with it. On the soaked, saturated pillow that was like a sponge, you will sleep in the middle of your storm. I don't care what it is. With all those demonic thoughts coming, I speak peace in the name of Jesus. I don't care who has talked about you, how long the relationship has been going on, and now it's final. You can have peace, and you can sleep in the stern of that boat knowing that everybody else can leave you as long as Jesus is with you. When my mother forsake me, when my father forsake me, Lord, you're always there with me. If I lose my business, at least I still have the Lord with me. If the spouse leaves, I still got Jesus with me, and I'm going to sleep in the stern of this boat. Even if I don't have money to pay my bills, Jesus had to sleep on, and the Bible says that he had nowhere to sleep nor nowhere to lay his head. I don't care if you got nowhere to lay your head. As long as you have Jesus and you have peace, you will stay asleep in that stern of that boat because these exterior elements, when you have him on the inside, will not affect you. But I, I say this, you will affect the situation because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He's greater than every element. He's greater than every demon. He's greater than every obstacle coming your way, every difficulty, every hardship, all the pain. He's drying you out. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing, honey. He's drying you out. Why are you sitting in the front, by the way? Get up here. I'm teasing. You can stay there. I'm going to leave you with this. I want you to stand to your feet. I want you to remember this. Will you remember this when I tell you this? Will you promise me? Okay. I want, I want to show you an opposite model. The same situation. So we got Peter. So this is called, this is parallel preaching. I just made up the word. Didn't learn it in seminary school, but it sounds educated parallel preaching. So on one hand, on this left hand, I have Peter and Matthew, Matthew's gospel. Peter's walking on water momentarily. He takes a few steps. He begins to, as long as he keeps his eyes on Jesus, he's fine. He takes his eyes off Jesus. He sinks. We have another story of Jesus staying asleep in the stern of a boat, boisterous winds. It's filling. They're going to die. Jesus is at peace. But this is the other parallel story. In John chapter 14, I'll just read it to you. In chapter 14, verse 30, I want to I show you this scripture that I'm about to give you. You may have never thought about it this way. You may have never thought about it this way, but this is the revelation. I believe that the Holy Spirit downloaded on the inside of me. You ready? This is why Jesus, Rick, this is why Jesus was able to walk on water. It's because he was dried out. John chapter 14, verse 30. I'll prove it to you. 
This is what's gonna make you walk on top of this, Tony. This scripture right here. John 14, verse 30. This is Jesus talking to his disciples right before he's about to go to the cross. And what does the Bible say he's gonna do? Empty, come on, you know it. Empty out himself, the Bible says. And I quote, he's going to empty himself out. Say empty. When he went to the cross, he emptied out himself. When did he do that? In the garden of Gethsemane, when he said, Father, not my will, but thy will. Come on, does everybody know what I'm talking about? But this is right before that happens. This is where Jesus turned into driftwood. Hypothetically speaking, Lord. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. Nothing. He has nothing in me. What does that mean? I told you Dead wood floats. When are you going to stop sinking? As long as you have you in you, your own dispositions, your own thought processes. You got to have it your way, on your terms. You will continue to sink. Got to be healed in your timing. Got to have a spouse in your timing. Got to have the career, your timing. You will continue to sink. Got to have the house, your timing. Everything's got to always happen methodically the way that you want to do it, how you want it done. And if God doesn't move on your timing, you're not going to show up to church or you're going to turn your back in three months if he doesn't get it all done within your chronological time order. As long as you do that, you can keep running. But know this, as long as you keep running, you will keep sinking. Until you come to the place of John 14, verse 30, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. Remember when he came to Jesus, the devil came to Jesus and said, all these kingdoms of their world and their glory, I will give unto you if thou will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, get thee behind me. Why? He was dried out. The devil couldn't move him. Listen to me. If you're a man in this room and you still turn your head when another woman walks by you, you're not dried out. If you get irritated every time somebody doesn't show up at your event in time or your birthday party or your baby shower or your husband doesn't do things or your wife doesn't do things and your timing gets stuff done the way that you want and you, get, you fly off of the rim because you're angry, you're not dried out. If it still bothers you having to take care of those kids the way that you do, God have mercy, God give you grace, but the fact of the matter is you're still not dried out. I'm still not dried out. And it is a process. It's a process. It's calling what Paul called dying daily. That's why he said, I die daily. I dry out daily. And I pray that God would release that grace over you no matter what it is. Your brothers may not be doing everything that you want them to do in the timing that you want or get the support that you want or whatever it might be in your life. God's drying us out. No no matter your situation. Still sick, still believing. Don't grow weary in well-doing. For in God's timing, you will dry out. 
you will reap when you faint not is really what it says. But I pray and I bless your people with that word, Lord, this morning. Anything in my life that would stop revival from happening, that would stop your people from being adequately ministered through this church, I pray that you would dry it out in me. Come on, you ought to open your own mouth and make it personal this morning. All the things that maybe you want to happen in ministry and your timing just dry out a little bit more. Once you dry out, you begin to walk on water. Things will change. The marriage will change. If it doesn't change, your perspective will when you dry out. You may not understand the loss of your child. You may not understand the heartache, the pain, the brokenness, the heartache, all of the rest. You may not understand it, but God is allowing these situations to dry you out to get you to walk on top of what used to drown you. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.